Hello everyone, this is Terry with Futures.io, and as always, I would like to thank you for joining us today. That is my very special pleasure to welcome back Morad Askar for today's webinar, An Afternoon with Futures Trader 71. This is a very special webinar series that we do where we invite uh, specific traders. It started with Big Mike, and we're very, very excited to have uh, FT here to sh share his story with us. If you have questions, please feel free to type them into the questions box throughout the uh, webinar, and we'll do our best to answer them throughout the event. If you're watching this on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and like it. Uh, share, comment, subscribe to the channel. It really helps us a lot. For trading news, events, and information, follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Use it at Futures.io. And now, without further delay, I'll hand it over to Morad, and you'll get the pop-up to share your screen. Thank you. Sorry about the phone. I forgot to mute that. I'll fix that. Sounds like a lot of action on that phone. Now. <laughs> what are you on Tinder? <laughs> no comments. Um, <laughs> uh, use yours. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for uh, showing up. I know it's uh, late in the day in many parts of the world, uh, but you're still here. Appreciate it. And if you're hearing us on the recording, thanks for tuning in. I want to remind everyone that derivatives trading is not suitable for all investors and that past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. Uh, when Mike reached out, uh, Mike and Terry reached out to me regarding uh, this webinar, I was, you know, usually I come on and discuss some technical or trader development. Trader development's my strength, uh, having been a prop shop owner and uh, backer of traders. Uh, this one was a surprise to me, and it's actually pretty interesting because, uh, not because I'll spend an hour talking about myself, but uh, it's interesting to me because I've always found other people's journeys uh, really interesting to listen to. Uh, and this is what we're about today. So I was asked to just take it from the very beginning and provide a bit of a... Um, a history of how I ended up talking to you here today. Uh, it started out once upon a time. <laughs> uh, I started trading w back when uh, I actually moved to the US. I grew up in Europe. I moved to the US and when I was in college, uh, I joined this uh, website that was up and coming called The Motley Fool. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. And I read, it just, the markets intrigued me. Uh, so I did a lot of investing when I was in college. I, I would, uh, would fund my uh, university studies. It was a private university in New York um, through various activities, um, um, projects, things like that. Uh, and I would spend a lot of time just looking at the, the markets. So I was looking at it more from an investing perspective and then by the time I'd graduated <clears throat> with an engineering degree, minor in economics, I, um, I got involved with a construction company. I studied construction management. Um, I'm, I got involved with a construction company that was the oldest in the country and that was also involved in some major projects with uh, companies like WorldCom, if you remember those guys, and Level 3. Level three was actually built by people who were from the construction company out in Omaha. And the stock 
was something that I could uh, participate in pre-IPO. And all of a sudden, it's just that whole thing, learning about IPOs and all that stuff, just took my entire focus. Uh, and so I spent a ton of time just uh, looking at markets and analyzing markets on a swing uh, or investment basis. Uh, that's where I got my start. I didn't really trade until uh, late 19, uh, 19, the late 1990s, uh, during the dot-com craze. Uh, I traded heavy on margin, I traded stocks, and, uh, and I ended up taking, I believe at the time, it was a $12,000 account to somewhere around $580,000 in a year and a half. Uh, just trading.com and and my method at the time which I thought was just absolute mastery uh, was basically to see what is being covered um, by various sites and to just get in there uh, and at the time everybody looked like a genius you know you you would buy a stock and it would be up you know six seven eight percent by the end of the day uh, it was pretty insane and then I rode that whole trip down when the bubble burst in March 2000. Um, I learned very quickly what a stop is and, uh, and, and margin calls and all that good stuff and started to and, and basically gave back a whole lot of money. Uh, most of what I made, I gave back. Uh, no idea how to trade, nothing like that. So. I went back to focusing on my main job and uh, and then ran into someone. I, I, I bounced around because it's construction work. I worked very, very complicated, uh, very large dollar figure projects, including the Boston Big Dig, um, uh, Liberty Tunnel in Pittsburgh. And then I was assigned to Puerto Rico for two years, uh, building the subway uh, next to the university there. And then I was reassigned to Miami. And when I was in Miami, I took a weekend off to go to a meditation retreat, a transcendental meditation, over a Memorial Day weekend. And I ran into a guy who was uh, a SOS bandit uh, in Florida. He SOS bandits are guys who trade high volume, uh, very high frequency manually um, on on Nasdaq. Um, systems and uh, what um, we hit it off during the the retreat it was just a, a long weekend and he said you need to come in and visit me at my office uh, you, you would be a really good trader and so I took a day off the following week I believe it was a Friday I drove up from Miami to where he was uh, which is uh, Vero Beach area and I came in before the market opened and he instructed me to just sit behind him in this room full of uh, professional traders and uh, to watch and not say a word. And it was dark, uh, even though we had the Florida sun, every, all the lights were blocked. Uh, I could hear trade the news coming in through the phone and I could, uh, I could see that uh, everybody was really focused. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of cussing and a lot of screaming. Uh, but within, I think, an hour and a half, I watched this person buy and sell a few million shares of Microsoft for a net gain. Again, past performance is not indicative. 
uh, for a net gain of about 18 grand pre, um, pre fees, pre costs and costs for trading stocks, even at his volume was pretty high, like $4, uh, four $4 per thousand or something like that. Uh, so that's pretty good for an hour and a half. He made basically in an hour and a half what it would take me to net out in three months of my job. Uh, so I really looked carefully at what everybody else was doing. I went home. I put in my notice the next day, and it took about two and a half months to replace me on this uh, $45 million project in Miami. It took forever. And then I packed up my stuff and uh, and moved to where he was and uh, started trading. And so I was trading at home already uh, for about a year before that, uh, just like everybody else was uh, at the time who was involved in the dot-com bubble. Uh, and then I finally moved and, uh, and just probably eight months or so, actually nine months before 9-11 hit. So I was, I opened my account, I put $45,000 in there. I got my computer and everything set up in the office with these other professionals and started to figure it out. And I started out trading 100 share lots of uh, JDSU and Dell and slower stocks at the time to figure out what I needed to do. You know, what is hitting the bid? What is, a, what does the blast key do? Um, what is an ECN? What is an offer? How do you lift an offer? How do you exit at market? These things just were, it was all foreign and there was no training. Uh, we, we simply, you simply sat there and you listened and you read. I read a few books, you know, The Disciplined Trader, the, the classics, Jesse Livermore. Uh, but there was no real education there. This was not a prop shop. This was an arcade for professionals and uh, everybody minded their own business. Now you walk outside and the parking lot's full of um, Porsches and Ferraris and Bentleys and so on. So you'd think we were, um, um, there, there, was, there was some formality to it all, but actually it was just everybody's for themselves and, um, and you had to learn it to the hard way. So, I started trading and I was losing every day, uh, trading stocks. Uh, they, were, they were doing a lot of volume. Some of these guys were doing, you know, 1.2 to, to 6 million shares a day of various stocks. It was very, very busy. Uh, many guys would trade, uh, many of the folks in there would trade eight stocks at a time. Uh, and it was really behaving, your, they were really behaving uh, like market makers using the SOs, the small order uh, entry system, which was uh, which is uh, run by NASDAQ. And uh, there was no liquidity taking. Uh, there's no credit for offering liquidity. None of that existed. You basically paid a fee uh, to access the market using the level two, um, level two platform. Uh, and at the time, that wasn't very common. Uh, and that's it. So Slowly, I started to figure things out. I started to look at moving averages and I started to pay attention to what the ES was doing while I was trading equities. Uh, uh, started to kind of get a glimpse of what a futures contract is, that those markets traded around the clock, ours didn't, uh, and things like that. And I started to, to flatten out. Uh, and then eventually, later in the year, around July, August, I started to actually see green days, net green days, uh, and, and actually paying 
uh, to be there. So it's I started to see a positive return and a 9-11 hit. 9/11 uh, hit and it was just an absolute disaster. <laughs> the uh, the stock market closed, and uh, it was a very rough time for everybody. Uh, and and I'm sure others had it much worse than I did. But basically, uh, the money was tied up, and you couldn't do anything. And if you happened to hold a position that morning, you were stuck in that position uh, until the market reopened. Uh, and uh, and so we sat around for a, I don't remember how long it took, probably a week or something before the markets were reopened. And as soon as they reopened, the rules had changed. Uh, a lot of the rules had changed. Uh, the the clearer that we're uh, trading through had changed how we were going to pay get paid out, uh, and a lot of things changed, and it became very hard. Now, when I joined, just before I joined. Uh, the market used to trade in teenies and fractions, and so every tick was worth a lot more, and it was a lot easier for everybody in this group to make money. Uh, apparently, I wasn't involved. I was there when it became uh, decimalized, uh, and then from the time I joined until the time I stopped trading uh, equities, it just seemed like there was always an additional fee, an additional fee, and, and there was a uh, liquidity taker fee. Um, so we couldn't go to market or couldn't blast the market like we were doing. <clears throat> I just watched guys who would come in and make a few thousand to ten to fifteen thousand dollars a day uh, on good days and lose about that on bad days. Uh, I watched them just basically implode and lose money, and it just became. You could see that the office was was getting emptier and more and more empty uh, with seats being left, equipment being abandoned, and it was clear that uh, I came in basically uh, nine or ten months ahead of uh, the end of that particular approach. Now, to someone like me, that looks like that looks like it's over. You need to go and find a job now, because I had no idea uh, that there are other markets, there are other ways to trade. Uh, you know, there's a huge difference between investing and trading. And so there's, there's, um, so to me, it looked like, oh my God, this is a disaster. Uh, I made this move. I quit my job, made it, made this move, and I, I don't have a, anything to fall back on. Uh, the good news was I was really well paid. Um, I was the youngest, I was the youngest in my, uh, position at this very, very old, uh, very big, very successful construction firm, and I was paid a lot. Uh, for my age at the time, and I could save a lot because I was single. I just got married uh, a short while before, and so I had a lot of savings. And I decided instead of dealing with the ups and downs and the anger and the negativity of of uh, this thing coming to an end, I decided to go and do a global tour. Uh, so I took six months and went for a global uh, trip. Uh, bought an around the world uh, ticket. And, and flew around the world and spent six months doing that. And by the time I came back, uh, I joined Schoenfeld, uh, an outfit called Schoenfeld, which is out of New Jersey, uh, but also had offices on, in, in Boca, Boca Raton, Florida. So I joined that as a prop trader, an equities prop trader. Uh, I was given an account, I was given a desk, um, I was given a contract, and we 
myself and a few others that I knew from the other office uh, started to trade there. And that was pretty good. I was making money pretty steady uh, on a daily basis. I had losses, but they were uh, smaller than, than my gains. Things looked good. And yet again, um, the industry was such that they were constantly changing the deal. Like our agreements were constantly changing or getting paid less and less and less and less because regulation was changing. The exchanges were changing uh, more and more fees. And, and, and I think one of the bigger pieces was that we are seen as a nuisance, right? We were causing, we are, we are increasing the cost of um, the, the institutions doing business. Uh, because we're front-running orders and things like that. We were just creating noise in the market. That's how we were seen. So there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot that was being done to um, slow things down. So that went on for, for a bit. And uh, through, through some relationships, uh, we found out that uh, there were some firms in Chicago that were opening up and they were looking for prop traders. Uh, they were offering... Uh, prop deals in futures, which I had no idea what a futures contract is. Uh, we heard that, I think, myself and the guy I started with or who got me in the business. We heard about it on a Thursday afternoon that they were looking for traders in Chicago, the Chicago Board of Trade, a new firm that was um, funded and, and had seats and was looking for prop traders. And then I think on Friday morning, that uh, the night, very next day at 7 a.m., we jumped into, uh, jumped into a car and drove up to Chicago from uh, Boca, which is about a 22-hour drive, drove up to Chicago, and on Monday morning, we were basically uh, banging on doors and looking for a position within that the, the firm we knew about and others. We went around and looked for who was hiring. Uh, by So that was Monday by... I think Tuesday or Wednesday, we had a prop deal. I flew back. Uh, I just bought a house in West Palm Beach and had work done on it. I basically closed it up and uh, and got a got a place in uh, a temporary place in Chicago and showed up to work. My expenses were very high at this point. I had um, um, I had. Uh, uh, my wife was pregnant and we had our first uh, child, um, basically a newborn. And so my expenses were very high. I did not have insurance, uh, you know, through work or whatever. I had to pay for that out of pocket. Uh, just a lot of expenses, a house that I was paying on that, but wasn't living in while I paid for a uh, an apartment here in Chicago in order to, to trade. So... My introduction into futures was very um, similar to my introduction into equities, except that with futures, it was fully uh, it was fully prop. I did not have to put up any risk capital. It was put up by the firm, and I would get 50% of whatever I earned, uh, which is very common, and, uh, and the deal was for two years. And so that, that was my focus. Uh, so I would show up at the Chicago Board of Trade every day. I had I had a computer, I had a desk, and as part of my prop deal, I had to pay a desk fee, 
which included the space that I was occupying, the desk that I was occupying, plus a phone line, plus a CQG uh, integrated client, which was about $850 a month, plus XTrader, uh, XTrader Pro, which was $1,600 a month. One second. Which was about $1,600 a month. Uh, among other expenses and the 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 thought was I was going to join this group it was about 45 traders in this one um, one big space uh, and I thought that I was going to get training and so on and and they did do like maybe two sessions two study hall sessions to train to talk about Fibonacci retracements and so on but there was the the expected you know handbook and step-by-step -step mentoring and training and all of that really was non-existent in fact i felt like the people who ran the shop weren't really making money trading anyway but uh the great thing about prop the great thing about prop is it exposes you to other traders and there were traders there that were very very successful uh, most of them were trading the Bund, uh, the Euro stocks, and the DAX. Uh, there were several bond traders. There were many S&P traders, uh, all electronic. And, uh, and, and so I started out on the YM. So I was given a login to TT. I was told there is no simulator. And I needed to do whatever I needed to do to make money. And at the end of the month, they will deduct whatever my costs are, including all these other fees, insurance, and so on. And, you know, it was up to me to make it. So I went to the Dow because it had a $5 tick. And this firm was able to get uh, lease, um, lease rates on the Dow, which reduced my cost tremendously. And I started to just try to scalp the Dow. And I think my first day I made maybe $120 in Dow, my first day trading futures. Now, there are many ways to start in the wrong way trading. Probably one of the worst is to make money on your first day. Um, making money on that first day meant that uh, I thought that I knew what I was doing, and it took me a long time to figure out that I didn't know anything about trading. And so I, I spent... The next three months really struggling and losing and losing and losing and i was drawing down you know the, these fees add up uh that come in every month and i was drawing down i was taking losses my loss limit was about 400 dollars a day and there were days in there where i would come in i would show up uh and within 20 to 30 minutes i would be limit down on my daily limit and i would spend the next six and a half to seven hours just sitting there staring at the screen and i don't know if it's happened to you before but but when you get beat down like that and you show up every day and you're just within the first hour you're just completely out but you still have to sit there it's just uh, leaves you with a lump in your in your throat and you're just wondering uh if your life is going in the right direction uh so the the saving grace though again with prop is that there were people who were trading the dow and other products who were making money and i can go and <clears throat> ask if i could watch 
uh, ask them what they are doing, talk to them. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, upside there because unlike someone who's trading online, um, I had proof that, uh, that this can be done because other people were doing it. I moved from the Dow once I figured out the mechanics, understood what was going on, understood how futures contracts worked and all of that. I learned all of that just by going to, at the time it was CBOT. The CBOT had its own website. It wasn't part of the CME. Uh, I would go to their, their website and go to the education session section and just read everything. That's basically, I would come in, lock limit down for the day and I would spend the rest of the day um, just reading stuff. And then once I read stuff, I would get all these ideas um, from from various you know uh, educators that they had, and then I would spend the rest of the time uh, working up spreadsheets on for trade logs and metrics, uh, creating my own indicators. You know what is an, uh, what is a what is a MACD? How does that look? Can I can I use the same data and recreate it the same way CQG was? Uh, just so I understood what it was. And that's basically my focus. So I went from dreading going in and not being able to wait until the closing bell would kick at 3.15 Chicago time, 4.15 Eastern, so that I can throw my backpack on and run away to actually staying uh, until 7, 8 at night working these things out. It just became a big puzzle for me. Uh, and I had the resources, you know, just the, the, the information online provided by the exchange and others uh, to, to go and research it. Um, in the meantime, while I was doing that, I was still trying to scalp the same way as everybody else uh, in the firm. Everybody was there was a scalper, the same way we were doing with equities. Um, but it, it wasn't, it didn't seem very profitable to me until I started to basically uh, do the opposite of what my instinct would have me do. Uh, when you're scalping, you know, because I didn't have a trading plan, which is quite amazing that somebody would back you, would put up a lot of money. I think they put up like 35,000 or something to back me, but they never bother to tell you where to go, what to look for, at least an idea of how to trade. Uh, none of that existed for me. None of it. I had to pick it off from other traders and and because you know you sit a you sit in a long kind of bench with other traders you start to talk to the person to the right and left of you or across from you and I started to learn about fibs and I started to learn about all these other approaches and but I still was much much more comfortable scalping and and one day I decided to uh, have an idea of what the market might do based on what it did today, but then still scalp around the position. And for the first time I, I, I would come in and I had a plan. I hadn't written it down yet, but I had a plan. And that plan was supported by um, a tool that I created in my research. So it goes something like this. When you trade an index product, it has an underlying universe of stocks. So the S&P 500 has 500 stocks. Pretty much everybody can go look at them, uh, can get the information, and pretty much everybody can nowadays um, get a live feed of that stock. Those, the, the stocks would 
by applying the the future value of the of the current price um, plus the premium, the interest required to hold that futures contract minus the dividends that it would pay out, you basically can create a weighted a market weighted index um, market weighted index to that would that would represent what the future contract is. Now, I know I might lose some of you here, but this is the essence of what a futures contract is. The futures contract is made up of the underlying stock, uh, the underlying index. The index is made up of the underlying stocks. The index is either price weighted or market cap weighted. The S&P 500 is market cap weighted. The Dow is price weighted. In other words, if there's a stock on the Dow that has a million dollar market cap, which it won't because these are all large companies, but its stock is $1,500 a share, it's always going to be the highest weighted stock. It's kind of weird, but the Dow is a very, very old index and it used to be uh, it used to be computed that way. So what I did is I created this thing called a fast cash. And what the fast cash is, it's not making money quickly, it has nothing to do with cash. A fast cash allowed me to see what the index price would be in the futures equivalent. So putting in, computing the, the interest rate that would go into holding a futures contract minus the dividends and so on, I could figure out what the index itself made up of the stocks should be worth in terms of futures. Let me know, did, am I confusing anyone? This is, I can see what you're writing if you wanna ask. But essentially, essentially, what I was doing is creating an SPX. Like, you know how you can pull up a dollar SPX on your platform and see what that is? That index is actually being put together, together by, uh, it's being put together by whoever the, the data provider is. They're computing that. And in general, those are being computed, at least at the time, they were being computed on a 15-second delayed basis. So if I wanted to know what the underlying stock index is to the Dow, I would only get updates every 15 seconds. And so I could take the DJI, add the interest, interest premium for the future until expiration, based on the days to expire, the dividends that are built into the days till it expires, um, and I can see what the future should be worth if it was really tracking the cash. But it would only update on a 15, uh, 10 or 15 second basis. And what I did is I created one that updates in real time. And it, it ends up giving me what the futures contract price should be based on those stocks. And what I did is I used a feature in the trading platform to put a dot on my ladder, on the dome, to put a dot that would move dynamically based on the feed that I was getting of all these stocks in real time through CQG. Does everybody follow that? So that was my first exposure to creating an edge, okay? Creating a, a, an edge that's built on something that is not some technical analysis. It was just basically, creating uh, what normally would be an arbitrage system. Um, the SPY and 
you know, the, the cues and the diamonds and all that didn't, didn't exist at the time. And so I was creating my own. And what this did is it didn't mean that if the dot moves up the screen, I should buy. But what it did very often is if we sell off in, in the S&P, and I did this, by the way, I was trading the Dow, the Euro stocks, the NASDAQ, and the S&P. And I had this for all of them. And this is like really, um, I'm using really terrible tools by today's standards because I was exporting the, the equity um, symbols to a, an Excel spreadsheet using DDE and then using that same DDE uh, uh, facility to put a dot on my platform. And so the important thing to take away here is that now I had something that told me whether a move in the futures was, um, was backed up by the equities underlying it. And I watched this thing for weeks, right? So most of the time, it, the futures and the, and the underlying fast cash would move together. But every once in a while, especially uh, on a release, the futures were much faster. The futures are very efficient. And I can only trade one side of this equation. I can only trade the future side. I couldn't go and buy or sell 500 individual stocks or the index itself. But the edge was if the futures move in the middle of the day, and this wouldn't happen in the first hour and a half or so, two hours, usually two hours. By the time the Europeans close, up to the point where the European markets close, it seemed like all the arbitrage systems were 100% on board and it stayed lockstep with, with itself. But during the, we'll call it the, the, the intern ses session of the, of the day, um, you know, the lunch period where the bigger players go away and their interns or clerks uh, do the execution or whatever, there were times where the market would move, the futures would move, and the cash would just sit there. It would not participate in the move at all. And those were one-sided opportunities for me. And doing that day in and day out and scalping that uh, started to show me uh, good returns. So I remember the first day I made 1,000 euros in the euro stocks was using that. Um, and just, just a huge boost of confidence. Now, here's the thing. I didn't really have a system. But I can tell you that knowing that I could do this, the emotional capital of knowing that I could do this, and the, um, the fact that I could see that this could be done was the turn for me. I just believed all of a sudden i believed there was no difference it's the same information i've had for a couple months that i created for myself but the difference for me was now i knew that i could do this and it just i started to look forward to coming in i knew that i could do something with the day on almost every day okay so four out of five days a week i knew i could put something up and if i couldn't i generally could fight a little bit fight back a little bit um, and make money back. But if I didn't make it back, I, I recognize that if I didn't, if I took 
losses and I didn't make them back by the time the European markets closed, the cash market closed at 1130 Eastern. If I didn't make it back by then, I'm done. Because from that point on, me trying to make it back just meant I would be deeper in the hole and I would never uh, recover. And so my losses were low and my gains were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I started to focus on the Euro stocks and then the Euro stocks became too slow for me. So I started to move to the DAX. And that's when things really started to take off for me. Uh, when I started to trade the DAX, I started trading it with the fast cash. And then I started to just having traded with the fast cash, having seen how the futures just move just by watching the tape and repeatedly looking at every tick for hours and hours and hours on end, uh, I developed a, 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 a flow with the product. I could tell when it was about to explode on new highs or if new highs should be faded. Um, and, and so I started to trade the DAX, very scary. But uh, the euro was a lot less than a dollar at the time. I think it was like 85 cents or something. So the DAX wasn't as, as, and it was a much lower index value. So the notional value of the DAX wasn't as big as it is today. The margin wasn't as big as it is today. I think the DAX margin now is like $25,000 a contract or some crazy thing. Um, but this product, once it moved, it's, you know, I compare it to the Russell. Once it moves, it just moves. It takes off. And in the DAX at the time, um, more so than it is over the last couple of months, you can put on a 2030 lot in the DAX and actually get filled. Um, and so I started to see, you know, $400 days, $1,000 days, $600 days, $1,200 days. Then I'd be down 800 bucks. Then I'd be up 1200 bucks. Then I'd have a $600 day, then an $800 day. And it's just consistent. So I, tra I created a trade log. And then I created basically what I would call the trade analyzer which was basically a spreadsheet that not only tracked my performance as a trade log, but it dynamically gave me my average price, my scratch price in a position at all times. And so combining the, the sheet that told me what my performance is and this performance, the sheet would give me um, a histogram of all of my gains and losses and ticks in a histogram, you know, how many ticks, how many trades netted three ticks up? How many trades netted 16 ticks up? And there would be a very clear uh, kind of a bell-shaped curve of all of my trades. It would tell me my win percent. It would tell me my loss percent, my average loss uh, in, in ticks, my average win in ticks. It would tell me what percent of my trades were long, what percent were short. It would give me the trader edge. I called the trader edge at the time, which is how much would I've been able to uh, gain at, at the best possible exit versus what I actually gained. Uh, it would give me expectancy uh, and so on and so forth. And then on that spreadsheet, it would compute my my costs, my commission and fees, exchange fee costs, my desk fee and all that stuff. And it became this big spreadsheet that really drove um, my progress. And this is what I call a trade log. And it's just so important for each trader to have that because it, the trade log, it's almost like having a, a chart, a health chart for your progress in, in the gym, in the, in the fitness center. It, it helps you control how much weight you put on. It helps you 
you know, when your weight is in the weights you're lifting, it provides, it shows you what progress you're making, even though you, you're not seeing it, uh, things like that. And then I would use my trade log to project, uh, I'd use my trade log to project the next month based on this month. And then the trade log using ex certain Excel functions of uh, day of week and so on, time of day, I, I could see which times I needed to not trade, which days are good. Did I make money? Can I, I can filter out by non-farm payroll. Did I make money on non-farm payroll days? Did I make money uh, on the ECB announcement Thursdays? Did I make money on the zoo uh, release days in Germany? And so on and so forth. That trade log tracked the events and I can filter by them and I can see what I needed to avoid. And so now, instead of spending a lot of time working on a technical edge and um, putting green and red dots on my screen, I really was trading against myself. I was trading against my trade log and my trade log was feeding what I needed to do. And here's the strange thing. If your trade log shows progress and you know what your results are to this point and you're sitting and figuring out what your results need to be next week, in and of itself, the trade log starts to limit the stupid trades, the errors, because you can see how a negative. So if you have, if you take five trades and make a tick on each one of those five trades, you have five ticks. That's your expectancy. 100% win, 0% loss, you have five, you have five ticks. If you lose two ticks on the very next trade, then it the average being having been a negative number, that loss, it drags down that average a lot. And so when you have a trade log that's tracking every trade and, and looking at the metrics and the progress, you start to really do what you're supposed to do. Not because I had tremendous discipline, although I've never had a big problem with discipline, but you start to really assess and get picky about what you will allow to cost you in your performance. And so it automatically created this process of vetting out trades. Um, and, and so that's, that became a big thing. The trade analyzer spreadsheet became a huge thing. Uh, built based on that, I built a theoretical average spreadsheet, which which would take a core position. Let's say I bought in the S and P, I bought twenty five seventy, and and I added to it, oops, and I added to it a twenty five uh, twenty five sixty five, and then I scaled out twenty five seventy two. What would be my scratch point? I needed to know what that is so that I can manage the trade. If I'm long, I always want my scratch point to be below my below the current market price. And that's what the what the Theo average did. So that's another tool other than the dot for the fast cash. That's another tool that helped me uh, stay in trades. When I see that my scale outs, and my campaigning was moving my scratch point farther and farther away from the inside market, I had more confidence to add to the trade and hold on for the bigger picture. I'm going to move past this because I can go into this for days. Over time, uh, I, I was gone from that prop firm. I started to make uh, average somewhere between $900 and $1,200 a day net. 
and um, I was let go for various reasons. And uh, I immediately went, I took a month off, I shopped around, um, I had good relationships with the other traders who became close friends in that prop firm. I didn't like the prop firm, which is now out of business, but they they were unethical and, and I made it so that I would get fired and get out of my contract. And so I spent a month shopping around, um, looking for clearing deals and to set up my own kind of personal business. I started an entity uh, and decided to trade under an entity uh, on advice of my accountant. And then I went and shopped until I found a great deal. And I landed at Advantage Futures. Uh, the people who are no longer there, the people I met were just incredible and gave me an incredible deal and also extended that deal to anybody else that I was bringing in. Okay. And then, so I went and bought equipment, came in, got a, got a space in the, in the main trading area with other people who are generally curve traders, uh, curve spreaders. And I sat there and I was basically the only one who was an outright index trader. And over that, that first month alone, taking 100% and paying 100% of the cost, I think I finished up $23,000 for the month. So my, um, my performance didn't suffer at all once I left and even though I took time off. And so the next month I did the same. I think I had a lot, actually made more money, like around 33,000, 34,000. And then I started to look at the people that I was working with at this prop firm uh, that, that I was in and they all wanted to get out. They didn't like being there. They didn't like the managers. They, they didn't trust them. And so what I did is I started to pull those people in and back them. And that's basically the inception, the beginning of prop trading for me, for a prop shop, running a prop shop. So I backed the guy who was sitting next to me from whom I've learned. I learned how to use fibs, fib, fib retracements for entries with a trend and things like that. I backed him. I actually bought him his own seat because I didn't know other people can trade under mine as an entity. I bought him his own seat uh, at the Chicago Board of Trade. Um, I bought him his computer equipment and I gave him a deal where he gets 100% of his profits until he pays off his debt to me. And then we would split, at that point, we'd split 50-50, which is unheard of. Usually you split 50-50 from the very beginning, not 100% uh, in your favor. So I did that. He ended up becoming a huge trader. Um, and then with, with his success, I took some of the money that I was uh, making from uh, his payments and I backed the next guy and I backed the next person and I then I created a business plan for prop that was very different than what we had here in Chicago which was put up a bunch of money hire a bunch of people and you know play the numbers hopefully one of them is a superstar and they pay you back for everything that uh, for everything that you may have lost at that point and what I did though is I basically said I cannot back the next trader until the current trader I'm backing is profitable enough and my share of their revenue, of their profit, pays for the next trader. And I needed $25,000 for every trader I backed. That's how much money I had to put up as an entity. Okay, So that forced me to not go out and multiply the business which I couldn't manage anyway because I was just a trader by myself with 
a, a bigger and bigger and bigger group. And then eventually Advantage built out an office for me. We moved into that office and the group became bigger and bigger and more coherent. Uh, and then I, I started to do those things that I wish I had when I joined Prop. Things like making sure that everybody has risk controls that are dynamic, that, uh, that I was keeping metrics on their performance. I got my own risk screen uh, and I would monitor what was going on. I would download everybody's fills. I would run the same spreadsheet metrics on them as I had for myself. And I would, my job became not just hanging out and trading together. <clears throat> my job became about t figuring out what their edge is, not technically, not, hey, uh, if this happens and that happens, get long, but looking at their performance, kind of like a baseball team manager would look at players, his or her players, and figuring out what positions they should play and so on. And so, and so I started to um, just look at those metrics, and then my job was to push those traders to trade bigger, to add to their leverage, to trade bigger and bigger and bigger, not to change anything, because I don't want them to change how they looked at or approached the market. But if a trader is now, you know, is profitable and is doing okay and is trading three contracts, I would say, look, your numbers support you trading four contracts, start with three, switch to the fourth contract. If, you, if you're positive in the first hour, switch to the fourth. If you go negative, then switch back to three, continue and so on. And then over time, four became, you know, within the span of not even a couple of weeks, maybe a week or a little over a week, four lots became normal for that person. Well, they just now increased their, um, they increased their return. If they can stay consistent to their metrics, they increased their, their return by 33%. That's quite a big jump, right? And then now if they consistently do the same, then we go to four and we go to five and we go to six and we want to walk them all the way up. And I did that till about 2005, 2006. And what happened in 2005 is the CME changed the way it reports trades. It started to break up trades. So reading the tape became extremely difficult because you no longer saw the demand side of the trade. You saw the supply side. So if a thousand lot was hitting the tape, you no longer saw a thousand lift, uh, you know, lifted or hit. You would see a bunch of 10 lots and a few hundred and, and a, a few five lots and a two lot and a 20 lot and a three lot. You, you just couldn't see anymore. It was obscured. Um, I also saw that there was more and more and more HFT coming in. A lot of algorithmic systems, co-located systems and so on that were taking that first price when we were fighting to scalp for ticks on high volume. I mean, our, you know, the average trader in our group was doing about 1,200 round turns a day. That's 2,400 sides a day. That's the average. I was doing somewhere between 1,600 and 3,200 round turns per day. It's a lot of trading. And what happened with the HFT um, scalping systems, market making systems, they were there taking those contracts way before we could even see it. And so what I noticed is that over time, um, I had to permission my traders for bigger and bigger and bigger quantities 
um, for the same return. And as anybody knows, if that's how you're running your business, it won't be long before you know you'll be shutting the doors down. So I needed to find something else. Uh, a lot of the traders were still, you know, were actually starting to finish out a three-year contract at that point. Somewhere in the middle of it. And what I did is I stopped talking about scalping and I started to focus on myself. I stopped backing people. This was late 2006. I stopped backing people and I started to focus a lot more on a higher time frame. I did not want to sit there and scalp anymore because scalping depended on big time on a fee structure. It depended on your membership <clears throat> status. If you are on a member type exchange, which the CME is, um, it depended on your infrastructure. It depended on your platform. It depended on your the quality of your sleep, your, your emotional state, all these things, your health. It just wasn't something that I felt was uh, could be grown or was sustainable. And so I was having to add and add and add more risk for the same return, for the same return. It was terrible. My R factor or risk factor on these traders were, was, was getting diminished, uh, getting eroded continuously over the period of, of a year. And so what I did is I started to focus on other things. What, what other approaches can I make to adjust from being a tick scalper to uh, to a higher time frame, to actually building a position, to building a bias, and so on. The way the, I saw these other spread traders were doing, uh, or or you know those who traded corn and wheat and cocoa and so on, they weren't scalping. They were trading seasonalities, or they were trading technically, or whatever. I wanted to get into that, so I I started to explore a lot of stuff. So I spent about a year of really intense study, and what I fell on. I tried so many things. What I fell on was market profile. And I started to look at market profile and, and it made sense to me. It was statistically based. Uh, it represented the information in a way that I could understand. I could relate it back to my statistics class and my economics class. It looked at the market as an auction. So I spent a lot of time reading uh, the manual, the CBOT market profile manual, which I don't know if it's still up there or not. I started to read Stadelmeyer. I read Dalton. And I started to really explore market profile. And I was already using a software that the first software that had market profile, CQG, that Stadelmeyer created that um, way of organizing the market on. So I, I had it in front of me and I started to trade with it. So I started to develop, you know, value area trades, uh, look at look at IB trades, look at uh, how does the market behave when the point of control shifts on a profile, things like that. So I, be, I was becoming much more technical. Now I wasn't able to trade it, but I could understand it. And it started, it was slowly starting to kind of leach into my scalping. I could see that eh, I don't, I don't think I want to scalp from this side anymore because we have what looks like an excess high. I don't want to keep buying into an excess high. It's probably not going to continue. I need to start looking for the short side. So I'd scalp from the short side. And I could see that my returns, my performance started to go back up. Um, and I was starting to pull the average win in ticks was increasing on my metrics. And so that was very encouraging. I spent a lot of time building my own profiles on paper, even though I had it on a platform. I just need to reconstruct stuff. It's the engineer in me to understand it. So I started to reconstruct. I started to 
compute the value area, the point of control in my head before it shifted, okay, we need to spend another, we need to touch this price for one more half hour bracket before the point of control shifts here. And if it does, then the value area would shift from here to here. And if it does, then I'm looking for the market to quickly move up, um, to quickly move away from this area because there's, there's a, a lot of consolidation here or the compression because the point of control has shifted. I'm looking for the market to move away from here and it's more likely to shift down then up and retest that value area from below where we were at, blah, 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 blah. That sort of stuff. I was, I was trading market profiling on the dome in XTrader. For anyone, anyone who's seen XTrader, it's the original uh, ladder-based uh, order entry system. On the right side of the dome, there was a profile that showed you, it tells you how many contracts traded at each price up and down the dome and it will plot a profile for you and i started to notice as i was trading remember for me trading was came in at 615 started trading at 7 uh, 650 uh the european markets i would trade through the treasury open uh and then i would trade through the us open i trade through the um the european market close uh, at 10:30 central and then i would do something else and i'll trade the close but instead of doing something else i would just continue to watch the market so i was getting you know a good nine hours a day of just consuming uh market information and what i noticed is that the market behaved differently when it was trading in the fat part of the profile the volume profile that tt was providing on its dome than it was when it was trading in new territory or when it's trading in a thin part of the profile. And so I started to come up with this idea that I really need to look at profiling, but the market, you know, market profiling uses 30 minute bars, 30 minute brackets. It's purely time-based. But I had tick data on CQG and I had tick data on my trading platform. I should be looking at volume. Who cares about how much time it's spent here or there? I'm not this, this, um, discrediting that. But to me, it made more sense to see how much of volume was happening at each price. And that really took off for me. So I basically spent a lot of time extracting volume data and building volume profiles. And I actually pushed CQG to offer a volume profile in addition to a market profile on the same chart. They, they, they actually eventually did. Um, and so I spent a lot of time looking at volume profile and I started to create a way to organize market information using volume profile based on market profile principles. Have I bored you all to death at this point or what? There's, there's a lot of stuff that I'm getting. I'm getting into details because I want to keep this relevant to you and your experience. But that's, that, was my, that was my path. Uh, so I was watching my traders continuing to make money. They were doing well, uh, not as well as they were. Uh, I was watching them looking for different markets to trade, moving from market to market, and they were scalping, but I was quietly not backing any more people and working on myself because not working on myself meant the end of the entire 
um, firm. It's kind of like um, on those airplane safety safety um, uh, demonstrations. They always tell you to put your mask on first before you help others. Our nature is to look at our son, daughter, wife, whatever, whoever we're traveling with and to try to save them. But if you don't have oxygen, you're neither going to save them or nor yourself. And so I was very interested in figuring it out for myself and then potentially backing people again and so on and so on and passing this information on to those people who continue to work for me and to rebuild based on this new approach. So I did that. I joined the chat room. I joined this. That's market profile based. I looked around and that's that was the beginning of my exposure to the retail online kind of sales and marketing thing. Um, and what I decided was it was all just nonsense that actual trading isn't about going to someone and having them show you how to trade. That's never going to happen. It isn't going to happen. Um, that actual trading is about me understanding things in a way, hopefully in a unique enough way that I can apply it and profit from it for myself. That's our goal as traders is to not go out there and let me follow this guy because he does this. No, follow that guy to get ideas. What you're after is ideas. You're not after how they're actually doing it because how they're doing it makes sense to them. It's a lot like, it's a whole lot like learning how to cook. You will never, ever, ever produce that exact same dish by that exact same master chef at that exact same restaurant. You'll never just buying buying that the the protein at a different place can change it completely uh, using a, a different brand of spice can change it all that stuff all that stuff so your focus and my focus was to build my own make my own soup right and i have to be the one to eat it so it needed to be good and so that's what i focused on tremendously i spent a lot of time just putting together my recipe for what I wanted to do. And that's where I came on to volume profiling. And in volume profiling, reopened this uh, thing I have for statistics and, and pulling at Excel. I'm, a, I'm just crazy with Excel. Pull information into Excel and squeeze statistics out of it. Uh, it helped me go back to learning what statistics actually mean. Like a lot of times, you know, people think that uh, just because something has occurred historically 90% of the time, they think it's a sure bet. It worked 90% of the time, but they forget that actually the outcome and the historical probability are two different things. And you're trading, the results for you are based on the outcome, not the historical probability. See, the outcome contributes to the historical probability. It's not the historical probability. So the the example that I might have said here before in Futures I Own prior talks is um, each one of us here, I'm willing to bet $15 million right now for anybody who wants to take me up that each one of us here has survived up to this point. So your probability of survival, historical probability of survival as of 435 Chicago time on the 8th of January, 2019, your probability, historical probability of survival was 100% because you're here. 
Can you guarantee me that you'll be here tomorrow? Can you? Because there are two outcomes to your survivability tomorrow. There's you're alive and kicking, hopefully with a smile, or you're dead. Two outcomes. So the probability of the very next, for the very next day, or for us, the very next trade is 50%. It's 50%. Even though you have a 100% win rate. So far, you've had a 100% win rate. You've survived every day so far. That's why you're here. But you cannot guarantee the outcome. That was a huge revelation for me. Huge. To do all these statistics and to bet on statistics in a way that almost, hey, it's better than 50-50, so I should bet on it. No, no. One, 50-50 may not cover your cost. 54% versus 46% may not cover your cost. Two, it's a it's the, the betting on it is a function of how much, how you're going to manage to trade, how much risk you're willing to, to take for that bet. Just because something has a 98% probability does not mean that we should bet 100% of our account. If I had poker cards and on the little poker display at the corner on your TV when you watch those poker shows, which I love to do, by the way, just for the statistical aspect. Not much, I'm not much of a poker player. It says 98% that the, the last card that gets flipped on the table plays for this one player. But we don't just not flip that last card, do we? Hey, it's 98%. It's a sure winner. So why are we even waiting and flipping the next card? We got the 98%. Everybody's done. Give them the money. Let's go. Move on, right? No. We still flip the last card because there's still a small chance that something may not work out. There's a 2% chance historically that it may not work out. So we have to play that portion out. And also, even if it's a 98% probability, it's still unwise to bet 100% because your risk of ruin of betting 100% is 50%. You're either going to get it all or lose it all. So even though the probabilities are very high, you still have to keep your risk, your the amount you risk per trade very modest. That was another revelation for me and it cost me a lot of money to figure that out. So these are all things that I've since 2008 when I came online. This is the reason I came online. I started to look around looking for, this is where the name Futures Trader 71 came from. It was the name I had to pick uh, when I joined Elite Trader back in 2004 five or six or something and I just pfft, uh, completely uncreative but that's when it came where it came from and when I came online I started to see that other people were pushing this education and this these products that did not address what you really need what you really need as a trader to make it even today there are many 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 people and I'm not here to talk negatively about anyone but I want you to be wise. And what I see is a lot of people who are offering mentoring and offering courses and offering and offering and offering, which is great. They probably have really good ideas that I personally can benefit from if I joined. But those who say that because they offer this, that this X number of people made money or they can help you make money or whatever, that's where the flag should go up because there's a huge difference between someone who has traded. So I know people who have traded and made money, but they're 
horrible teachers. They can't tell me what they're doing. They can't tell me what they're doing. It's not because they're con men. I know this guy makes money, right? But they are horrible at describing what that is. They're horrible. They're horrible at supporting the trader through the biggest aspect of trading, uh, which is the, 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 the mindset aspect. The mindset is huge. The change of mindset costs a huge portion of the investment in a trader. I've known this. I've documented this for myself. A huge part of the losses that I've taken as a prop shop owner backing people is to get them to stop doing stupid mental things, the errors. Um, and, and there isn't somebody that's going to walk you through that who hasn't done it for, the, for someone else. It's one thing for me to learn to cook. It's another thing for me to teach someone else to cook. And what you want to do is, in my opinion, is go buy those products from those people if you like, but you're buying them for the ideas. Mentoring and things like that. One of the biggest things I want to ask of any mentor is, have you ever backed anyone? If you've never backed anyone and had skin in the game of backing people, how could you mentor them? How could you possibly know what they're going through? It's not possible in my opinion. But then again, that's just one person's opinion. So I came online, started to discover that, you know, I started to actually, without knowing it, I started posting trades on Twitter. You can go back to my Twitter feed at the very, very beginning. I think it was May 2008 or something. And you'll see that I was posting live trades because I thought I was, it was a communication medium between me and, and, and a couple of people who are subscribing to my feed. It turns out that anybody can look. Uh, and I was posting these trades and then I was invited on a webinar and then I continued to post trades and so on and so forth. So what's happened since? Since then, I decided that I wanted to do something bigger than a prop shop in Chicago. I decided that I needed to, I went through some life changes. I got a divorce and got divorced and it was just very devastating uh, in many ways, but it's it's been an incredibly um fulfilling experience for me overall i've remarried i have a i have a, a an amazing wife and family and very very supportive family structure but i now want to do the prop thing globally right so that's my that's been my focus so the initial approach was to uh get registered get registered as a broker did that not sure how far that got me but did that and my goal with that was to be able to talk to people about their account, to talk to traders about their account, about their performance, to be able to pull statements or look at people's statements and see what they're doing and so on. Uh, and then I was part of building a, a brokerage uh, called Stage 5. You might have heard of it uh, that started in 2012 and is still running today. And then at the beginning of this year, I... I the brokerage was a was, was an important piece because that's where I wanted to see uh, for our particular customers at stage five. I wanted to be able to pull their information and talk to them and prevent them from blowing up and provide risk controls and provide reasonable risk compared to other brokerages and so on. Uh, and then since then, I've moved on to convergent trading, which brings me back to what I originally wanted to do, which is to create an online virtual prop environment that's being released in different phases. It's being released in three phases. We're in beta still. And that is the community building portion where 
there's you know my focus since march 14th when we launched has been build the community portion build the trader development portion um, you know walk people through what i'm doing uh what you know twice a week webinars we do a study hall every thursday we do a trade talk every day today we did an anatomy of a life trade so on and so forth and and bring that process and just be focused on that process alone not worrying about other businesses or brokerage or anything like that but to go back to my roots uh in the meantime there's a lot of development going on coding and so on that brings that that looks to bring tools into uh support supporting traders uh and and also creating a, a kind of a cohesive environment there are many many chat rooms out there one of the one of the things we do have is a chat room but there are many many chat rooms out there and chat rooms are more seems like more for entertainment or more for not being alone i'm treating the chat room like it's a prop room it's like a, a big floor that has many different rooms or channels uh, channel for global indices a channel for in, uh, energies fx crypto options uh, technology ninja trader sierra investor rt whatever uh and if you're in a trading room you need to talk about trading you cannot be chit-chatting uh, and what you talk about has to fit certain requirements which is tell us what you're seeing tell us what you think it's likely to do and why and in that way we you can be accountable to your whatever you're reading and we can learn from it and i can get some ideas that i can push back towards the traders or the traders towards each other uh the other thing i wanted to create is a is a, is a, a way to create accountability one of the biggest benefits of prop is not only to be able to be around head traders and ask questions and so on so we have a head trader channel and and i'm in that commenting all day long or whenever there is something to comment about because i'm not there for entertainment um but also the ability to be accountable that's really important in prop and that doesn't exist online for especially for retail traders who are spread out and maybe trading too small an account for the leverage they're using and things like that so my intent or goal is really to bring the professional you know I'm here in Chicago I've backed people I want to bring that to those who want to hear it those who want to take this seriously who want to listen that's what I'm bringing um, and so and so that's been my focus I have been rambling for an hour and 15 minutes now and uh, I'm gonna just give it a break and give uh, Terry a chance to tell me if there's something I have not addressed in the questions. Um, Terry, you're still here? Yes, I am. Give me a second to scroll through these. Uh, there's a lot there probably. Yep. I just pulled up the questions panel. Holy cow. There's a lot of questions. Uh, Comparing market profile to volume profile. I'll take that one. Okay. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's one of the first ones. So the, the difference between market profile and volume profile, they, they both have different functions. So if you have tick data, tick volume data, and you're trading a product that's relatively decently liquid, I default to volume profiling uh, because the idea is it's an auction it's ebay we're on ebay 
when we look at these exchanges, right? Except eBay is a one-way auction and we are in a two-way auction. You can turn around and be a seller and, and then be a buyer and be a seller and be a buyer as many times as you like or you can afford to, right? Whereas eBay, there's one seller and there's a whole bunch of buyers. And with, with eBay, if you had a standardized product that is traded on an exchange and that exchange does not trade against you, that's the beauty of futures, one of the beautiful things about futures, and it's all central. So I am competing for that price with other people and I'm filling and I'm offering a service to other participants, either short time frame, long time frame, it doesn't matter, to get a price that they're looking for. If I can see the price in a bar, but that's all I can see, then okay, that's fine, you know, open, high, low, close, depending on the bar, it depends where it, where it closes. But what if I could see how much traded on every tick up and down that bar? How much traded on every tick isn't gonna change if you go to a 15 minute, 60 minute, 10 minute, five minute, one minute, a 433 tick chart, doesn't matter. It's always the same. That price had so many contracts trade at it, period, regardless of time. To me, that makes sense because volume, you know, price is price, price is king, but volume validates price or denies price. So when you have a high volume node and there's a lot of volume at a price, the market is accepting that price. And that's shown in market profile, but market profile organizes it by time. So as long as a price gets touched within that 30 minute bracket, it gets the same significance. So market profile to me is really good on things like when I'm analyzing the SPX and all I have is time and price, no volume data, or FX, you know, cash forex markets. You, you would have to use market profile because there is no volume data on FX because you're trading against the dealer. Uh, or bigger picture, when I look at monthlies or yearlies, I like to use market profile because I don't really care what the distribution is at every price because I'm not able to zoom in to more than maybe five points at a time, so it doesn't really matter. That's But for day-to-day -day trading, for real analysis, volume profile is far superior in my opinion. It just makes it clear how much interest there is. If every time uh, an iWatch gets on eBay, it gets scooped up and it has 800 bids, you know that this is a product that has a very high demand and you know price is likely to creep up. So having, you know, having the product and having a price is not enough. How much traded at that price? Ooh, that is information you can use. Now you can adjust your bid. Now you can decide if you even want it at those prices given the volume. You know, if somebody puts the same I watch for twice the price and nobody's buying, you know, out of a thousand that were put up, only two were bought, you'd be an idiot buying it at that price. So that's where volume really means something in terms of um, in terms of trading. Okay. Okay, I got one. Uh, running the prop shop, what are some of the uh, psych issues that you run into with uh, the traders that you worked with? Or what is the like top psych issues? So the biggest issue for traders is the same as it is that you hear everywhere else. It's the 
just not a, the, the 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 randomness of trading really gets to people. Uh, the the fact that you cannot, um, the fact that you cannot study away the uncertainty of the outcome of the very next trade, that's a big struggle for everybody. You know whether you're someone who's being backed or someone who's trading his or her own money. Um, it doesn't matter if you're sitting there thinking, dang it, I took this exact same trade yesterday and it worked and today it didn't. Well, today's trade is absolutely and completely unique, just like a snowflake. It has nothing to do with yesterday. It is absolutely random. And what you're doing is you're profiting from the trend of that randomness. You are profiting from the trend of that randomness. So the biggest thing for prop traders as it is for retail or anybody other, anybody else is you have to first have a gross edge. You have to have a, an idea that says, look, in general, this should make money in the long run, I hope, <laughs> right? Uh, and then what you have to do is apply reasonable risk controls and reasonable uh, trade management to exploit that edge, but you also have to do it over a large sample. You know, tossing a coin three times does not give you a 50-50 out outcome. It can't. It's not possible. So people would study and study and study, and then they would trade, they would apply their plan, usually randomly, and and then take, you know, six trades, and they're like, oh, this sucks. Okay, I'm going to go find someone else to learn from. Well, in order for you to really see what that uh, plan has in store for you, you're going to have to take a lot more trades, and it's the same problem for prop. So what I see for prop traders in terms of, tra of psychology is exactly the same as what I see for traders who have been following me for years um, and, and that I've talked to for years. It's the same. They're the same issues. And one of the key things that you, I don't, I will only back someone after vetting out their psychology and the biggest thing i want to the, the biggest things i want to learn about someone's psychology are one mindset mindset's huge if i get a whiff of someone saying oh you know you can't teach an old god dog new tricks that's a fixed mindset i have no you've just lost me there i i have no interest leave go away the second thing is grit I'm looking for evidence in this person's history that they have, have performed at something, failed, and then came back and outperformed that prior performance and overcame their issues. So there's a lot of focus on athletics. Uh, there's a lot of focus on setbacks. I want to hear about people's setbacks. That's one of the key things I want to extract in an application. What have you done that, have, that has set you back? And then in the interview, I want to see what have you done to overcome it and show me the evidence of those results because grit is a big piece of what's needed. And then the third thing, you know, the traders that I backed other than the guys that I pulled out of the prop shop that I got fired from, the third thing I, I needed to, to have is um, no trading history or people who are very malleable, right? So I, I don't want to spend as a businessman I don't want to sit here and spend, you know, $20,000 helping you unlearn some, some hangups that you have with trading. I would rather have a fresh mind that's willing to just do as I say. Sounds terrible, but 
that's just a fact of life. I don't want to have some fight somebody. And the reason I I'm I'm a staunch believer in this is because one of the first guys, uh, one of the first traders that got assigned to me when I was at that prop shop and making money assigned to me to help was was a floor trader. And this person, you know, was trading in the on the floor and swinging some size, you know, trading the the S, the, the bigs, the SP. Uh, and he just could not trade a two lot. He just did not want to trade a two lot. It was beneath him. It was, you know, who am I? A little pipsqueak, much younger guy. Shut up. I'll do what I have to do. I don't want to deal with that. And so I need somebody who's who's willing to just absorb and take in whatever's there, you know, test it for themselves, prove it to themselves and go work with it. But the biggest things, mindset, if you believe that you can't be good at something, I believe that you are good at whatever you focus on, period, period. You know, you want to learn to be a, an astrophysicist today and you're 67 years old. If you, It's a function of how much focus there is. There's a limit. There's a natural limit to that. But it's a function of, you know, if you're someone who believes that ah, it's too late or I can't, uh, you've, you've lost me. It's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. And then grit is important because the trading is going to knock you down again and again and again. It's going to make you want to quit. It's kind of like the Navy SEALs. Uh, you know, when they, when they go and they uh, try to be a Navy SEAL, um, you know, their goal is to get you knocked out. They want you to ring the bell because they don't want somebody who might give up in the heat of battle they want you to give up when you're being uh recruited uh same same kind of thinking anything else terry uh let's see we're probably gonna make this last one dang it i just saw it where did it go <laughs> In your opinion, how long does it take someone with limited experience to honestly make money, pay to pay the bills, doing day trading? Okay, so it's it's a it's a good question, but the answer de depends on some a, a huge variety of variables. The variables are you have a million dollar account, then that shouldn't be shouldn't take too long, right? Because you don't need much of a return on a million dollar account to pay the bills. But if you're trading a $2,500 account, it's going to be hard to pay $40,000 worth of bills on a $2,500 account, even if you're a superstar. Okay, so that's a big factor. Capitalization is huge. The, the other factor is how focused and deliberate are you, right? So it has a lot to do with your aptitude and, and how much you're putting in. So what I've seen since 2008 when I came online what I've seen is a lot of people spend a lot of time doing a whole lot of nothing. And it's not, I'm not trying to insult anyone, but the fact is, unless you're coming in every day and saying, this is my demon today, this is the thing, this is the win I have to have today, this is the thing I need to do today to set myself up for success, this is the focused, deliberate practice thing that I'm going to work on today. I am terrible at getting short the market so today it looks like it's setting up for some selling i'm gonna take the short that sets up the way i said it would set up right the way i planned it and then as soon as you see it happen go take it go take it document it do it again and again and again now you've moved yourself closer to that end so it's a huge variety of things what platform are you using 
What's your approach? What time of day? How much time can you devote to trading? What other things in your life require attention? All these things require uh, our, our inputs into whether or not uh, and, or how long it would take to, to make the turn. I'm sorry, I can't be more specific because it's just really, it's like saying how long would it take me to, 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 to learn to build a house? Well, it's just, it depends on so many factors, including the territory, the terrain permits, your local city hall, the weather, uh, you know, the tools you have, so much. Uh, but in general, in general, if you did follow a clear cut, I'm writing this down. I'm keeping a trade log. I'm keeping a journal. I am testing my ideas on a simulator with a sample of at least 30 to 50 trades and refining that process and blah, 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 like following, hitting all the bullet points. My guess, a person who's doing it independently probably is looking at a year and a half to two years. A person in a prop shop is probably looking at nine months to a year based on my experience, although it's been a while since I backed people. But it's that's that's what I would look at. The reason the advantage of a prop shop is that you're in a you're in an environment where you have to produce. There's a lot of accountability, and there are a lot of resources, but there's a lot of accountability when you're uh, trading with other people and especially trading their money. There have to be results. Uh, so that's different than somebody who's trading at home. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, that was great. Uh, thank you for the webinar, the information, and for uh, spending some time with us this evening, uh, FT. Thanks for having me on, and thanks, everybody, for listening to me ramble for an hour and a half. I appreciate uh, being on every time. Take care, everybody. You too. Thank you.